Dear James, I am to be married today. I stood in front of the glass this morning and introduced myself to my reflection as Lady Michael St. Ledger's, but saw only Anne Davies, as always, looking too much like a child to be a bride. That one can still look so at the ancient age of twenty seems most peculiar, but since my hair is too fair and too fine to yield easily to fashion's dictates, and my body too waif-like to stir a man's desires, or so Beth tells me and she should know, I can do nothing to alter the matter. I thought once I had met Lord Michael I would feel differently about marriage, but I do not. He is large and, I suppose, very handsome, but his demeanour is stern and his manner unyielding. I have seen him smile only once, and that was at Beth, who was flirting as usual. Tony does not seem to mind such antics, so their marriage lopes along peacefully enough, and, of course, Catherine's marriage is amiable, for she adores her grand position. I do hope my marriage will be as untroubled as theirs seem to be, James, for I mean to be a good wife. I know my duty, of course, and thanks to Grandmama's precepts and my experience here at Rendlesham, I am well trained for the position. However, since I have grown weary of constantly seeking compromise, and since I doubt that marriage can require less of that increasingly tiresome occupation than the single state requires, I must admit to certain qualms. Lady Anne Davies paused, nibbling the end of her pen and absently stroking the small black cat curled in her lap as she tried to organise those qualms into words she could set to paper. Before she had done more than dip the nib into her inkwell again, however, the door to her bedchamber opened without ceremony, and her maid, Maisie Bray, bustled in with Anne's wedding dress draped carefully over one plump, rosy arm. Looking critically at her mistress, she said, "'Beg pardon, my lady, I'm sure, but this be no time to be scribbling in that journal of yours. His lordship, which is to say your papa, not Lord Michael, wants to see you in his bookroom as soon as you be dressed. It won't do to be agitating him, not today.' "'I try never to agitate papa, Maisie,' Anne said calmly. "'And if I do not write now, I don't know when I shall find the opportunity to write again.' but she slipped the page obediently into the portfolio she kept for the purpose, and, still holding the small cat, arose to put the portfolio into the carpet bag she would carry with her later in the carriage. Then she stepped to the window to take one last look out at her beloved gardens, just now beginning to show touches of springtime colour. The kitten purred, and Anne stroked it while she gazed at her garden and the sloping sweep of velvet-green lawn beyond. Puffy white clouds drifted overhead, but the sun still shone invitingly on the white pebbled walks and tiny hedged borders. Behind her, Maisie said gently, You'd best make haste, Miss Anne. With a sigh, Anne put small black Juliet down on a favoured pillow on the high, pale blue silk draped bed, slipped out of her dressing gown, and stood in chemise and corset while Maisie flung the white muslin dress over her head. Maisie was careful not to disarrange Anne's hair, and once the gown was in place, while the maid fastened the golden ties at each shoulder, Anne gazed solemnly at her reflection in the dressing glass. The gown was lovely, but she wished she might have had silver-embroidered borders instead of gold. She had suggested that, with her grey eyes and pale flaxen hair, silver would be more becoming to her, 
but her mother had scorned such a notion.